Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. In British Columbia, Canada, we have a local CSAT to help me with my recovery. We are three months since discovery day. My wife is having a difficult time trying to find a CSAT for her betrayed as a betrayed partner. Do you have any advice for us? Yes. Email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. I've got great options for you, including in, in Canada. So, um, uh, but yeah, this is not one I can answer on online. So Tammy, T-A-M-I at Seeking Integrity. Tell me where you're located. Um, but yeah, there's there's one in Canada that runs pro-dependence therapy groups as well as, you know, does pro-dependent alliance. There's more too, but the one I'm thinking of would be probably a great help for her. And I love going up to BC. There's a number of people um, that we've worked with over the years who, and I think you've done some trainings up there, if I recall. So like people from the Seattle area have come down. And so um, yeah. There's actually a co- quite a few good people. Drop Tammy a note, um, and she yes. will make a referral or two for you. Yes. Can you speak to the role of forgiveness and surrender in the healing process for a betrayed partner? I understand why my husband made the betrayal and deception choices he did, and forgive him for me so I can heal. But struggling with, you know, have fear if I can really take the risk again even though he now seems serious about recovery after 16 years of chronic infidelity and many discoveries. I hear you. Um, I'm over here. Um, Let me see if I can put this in the chat. Um, Give me one sec. I'm looking for, so let me just say it to you. I wanted to speak to the forgiveness part Um, just because a lot of folks think um, we have this idea that, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And then some line has been crossed. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a series of stages of things like grief. And you may forgive and then you may be furious. And, you know, it's a roller coaster until you get to the point where you just say, um, I'm at peace with this. And, you know, uh, and even then it might come up a little bit. So I I don't think about forgiveness so much as um, moving in the direction of healing. I'm more, how can you heal your relationship? How can you come to peace with it? Um, And realize that that may take a while. Um, do they say how long I struggle it with a fear? Doesn't say, yeah, no, it doesn't say specifically, but I, you know, the fear, I can take the risk again after what seems like serious recovery after 16 years of chronic infidelity and many discoveries. Right. So, so it feels like he's on a good journey now, but it's been 16 years of chronic infidelity and many discoveries. Yeah, I don't know how long if this is. You've been in a relationship that's healing, and I don't know if you've read uh, any of my work or any of the work on betrayed partners. Or again, you might go to the betrayed partners group because I think the people we're with want to be forgiven a lot faster than we are necessarily ready to give forgiveness, and it's so that they can feel better. Because for us, forgiving them is not for them; it's for us to be at peace. And so, you know, if someone who betrayed you for sixteen years is asking at a year, at six months or eight months or nine months, um, when are you going to forgive them? I think the answer is when I am at peace with that. And I don't know when that will be. Um, and leave me alone <laughs> because they're looking to you for something that they, they can't get from you anyway. Um, so, you know, they need to find it within themselves. Um, so in a way, I think it's an organic process and you just kind of know when you know. 
Um, but that's provided your, as Tammy would say, you're in an active process. You know, I didn't hear, I don't think, are you in a support group? Are you going to talking to other partners? Um, do you have a therapist who understands how to work with these things? Because I think the more you can learn and know from your perspective, not just reading the books, but actually being in the support, um, it'll help you understand. Um, but don't let anybody talk you out of your feelings. You can be angry as long as you want. Um, in fact, we had a, do you mind my saying, Tammy, we had a discussion on the consultation group about this, where one of the therapists said, I, you know, it's been a while since the disclosure and the spouse is still really angry. And at what point is it not productive, this degree of anger, you know, the yelling, the screaming, the chasing, the going through everything. And, and you know, I think the answer is that we don't like to put timelines on things, but I think if a couple is actively working, you know, both have support, um, the addict is really working on their recovery and doing the things they need to do. You know, I, I think by a year, the partner should probably be less openly angry and really, you know, the sarcasm, the cynicism, the chasing, the, the, the rage, the, the wanting them to leave. I mean, that should slow down a little bit. And part of the reason is when, when someone's really doing a good job in recovery, I mean, really dedicated, and you see that, and they're getting out a year, a year and a half, if you're still in that place, same furious, furious place, at a, some point it becomes disincentivizing for us. It's not productive. Now you're just this person who's angry all the time, and I'm the one who's really been working on things, and I'm beginning to like myself, and I'm not sure I deserve someone who's that angry. So at a certain point, and I can say a year and a half, you know, I don't know what it is for you, but if someone's really working on the recovery and you want the coupleship to heal, the anger needs to dissipate, um, and I can't say when that is for you. Um, but we do need at some point to, um, to walk. Anyway, I'm not even going to say it. Tell me your thoughts. Well, and, 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 and you don't mention anger and I don't know the, the timeline. So, so what I hear is you acknowledge, you know, that he's working on it and that you understand that, that this is from his brokenness with addiction and that he does appear to be really working on recovery. But I want to also acknowledge your fear because um, I a hundred percent after 16 years and now he has some months, let's, let's go with some months of like, he's finally doing the right thing. But you had this whole time of 16 years of thinking that he was, you know, your partner or you had some discoveries, but now he's going to do better and all of that. Of course, you're going to have fear. Um, and I think, I think you will at some point, you know, if he continues the journey and he continues to to make um, it obvious by his actions that he's becoming trustworthy, you're going to start to trust him in little ways, not a hundred percent. Unfortunately, I don't think you will ever be able to trust him a hundred percent again, because, you know, the person that you thought was um, would never hurt you has shown that he can, but, but you can, like, I think it can be a really minimal, like, like at some point the risk and you'll have created this different space, but, but I think it's not uncommon, nor is it unrealistic to have that fear, you know, so what do you need to do? It's like, you've survived all of this. So, you know, if, if something bad happens with him again, you will survive. You are resilient. You will come forward for this. Will it hurt? Sure. Will you feel like, oh my gosh, here we are again. Sure. But, but you are resilient and you can, you can navigate through it, hopefully with really good support. So they're not, um, you know, it sounds paradoxical, you know, uh, but I don't think they are. I think it's like, you can have that, that fear that this could happen again on some level, 
but also have the knowledge that you will survive this, but you can also appreciate that, you know, in his addiction, he did these horrible things and, and, but at some point, you know, I need to, I need to give it space like Dr. Rob was talking about. I need to give space for creating some healthy relationship um, uh, space so that it isn't, I'm always angry and he's always, you know, like there, that isn't, that is not a healthy place for either of you to get stuck. So but I don't see them as, you know, mutually exclusive. So, okay. Are you ready for the I want to question? add something. Um, just one oh, more please. thing about that. Um, hold on, I want to see what. So first of all, one of the things you said in here is, um, I am struggling with and have fear if I can take the risk again. One of the most important things we tell spouses after having been lied to and cheated on and manipulated and all of that stuff is trust your feelings. Now is mm -hmm. a really important time to trust your feelings. And if you are afraid that you're not, that bad things might happen or you might get lost or you might feel like you've made a mistake and then you're not ready to do this. And it's really important that you listen to what's inside of you. And again, go to support groups and, and education and get the validation for what you feel. Cause I, I think what you feel is accurate. And what I want to tell you is you don't need any information from us. It's already inside of you. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is if you and I were in a relationship and I was the addict who cared about you and you were the partner who cared about me, we're both in fear of the same thing. I'm afraid that I may lose my sobriety and then I may act out and then all these bad things are going to happen. And you're afraid that I'm going to act out and you're not going to trust me. And so I think that's something that we can share as uncomfortable as it is, is that, wow, you know, this is a scary process and either one of us could, you know, kind of get all of our dreams and hopes dashed. And you might just start there because if he's really in recovery, then he's afraid. By the way, the people who say to me, oh, I've really got this. I'm not going to act out again. I've got it. You know, I worry about those people. You know, I worry. It's a person who says, I'm worried that this could happen again. And I'm doing everything I can because I don't want it to, but I'm afraid that it might, that that's someone who's aware, that's someone who's paying attention. You know, so I, you know, if I got hit by a ladder, I'd probably keep be a lot of potential when I walked under another one. So in any case, um, there is a, a commonality that the two of you have in the fear that things are gonna get worse again. And I think that's some place that you can start. I love that. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. My PA husband and I have been sleeping in separate bedrooms for eight months. However, I feel like I'm getting too comfortable in doing so and not sure where to go from here. He has been working very hard in his recovery and I'm proud of him and have also let go of the harsh resentment I was feeling towards him. I just don't want to sleep with him. What is wrong with this picture? Well, first of all, I just want to say there's a difference between sleeping with someone and having sex with them. And sometimes people conflate those things. So lying next to someone is not... Uh, is not having sex with them. And by the way, that can be made a distinction. Like we're going to sleep together in our PJs, whatever, and we're going to wake up together, but we are not going to be sexual. You know, I mean, so there are ways to approach because uh, if you think, well, we're going to sleep together so that we're just going to start having sex again, it doesn't have to be that. Pardon me. I love that you feel proud of him. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's very clear and wonderful. I think I'm really glad. And this is that transition I was talking about, Tammy. I've let go of the harsh resentment I was feeling. What a beautiful thing. That means you're more at peace. That, that to me is what's really important. I don't know whether he wants forgiveness or he's hoping to get back in the bedroom or what he does or doesn't want. And, you know, he, he deserves to want that. But I love your saying that you let go of harsh resentment because that means your blood pressure went down. That means the bitterness in your, in your gut is alleviated. And so to me, that's the most important thing. Now, as far as not wanting to sleep with them, I think it's a very much a trust your gut kind of thing too. Um, I would wonder though, um, 
it's kind of like the sensate focus. Are you, maybe you're not ready to sleep together, like young people may not be, but are you going to, on dates? Are you holding hands? Are you doing things kind of like that sensate focus that approaches a place where you would want to hold each other? Are you, um, I, 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 I'm thinking, you know, brushing someone's hair, giving them a massage, you know, doing different kinds of things to have physical contact and then separating. Um, and I would also want to look into it for me. What exactly does not sleeping him? I agree that you shouldn't do that if you don't feel like it. But what does it mean to you? Does it mean you've given something up or you're giving in or that you shouldn't be angry anymore? Or once he's in there, then you can't get rid of him because you'll feel guilty. I think there's something underneath that that's true for you. And I might sit down and just write a page on why I don't want to sleep with him um, and what that means to me and take a look at it a couple of days later and say, huh, that, you know, is that really what's going on? So I would do a little more exploration and uh, everything else here looks really good to me. Um, Tammy? Yeah, and, and I would, you know, I, I often hear people separating, but there's not really a plan of, of how do we move forward? What are the expectations? What, what do I need to see in my partner in order for us to come back together? And it kind of feels like that with this. It's like we've been separated for eight months and, you know, I'm happy going to, you know, my bed and, you know, like it's made the way I want it and what, whatever, you know, but, but like now you've kind of become roommates on some level. So I love what Dr. Rob was talking about of like, you know, um, writing about mm -hmm. what it means to you. And I, I think I would also include what is it I'm looking to see in order for us to sleep together, not, not sexually, but like, if we just slept in the same bed, what would, you know, what would that look like? How would I feel about that? Like, you know, is that scary or is that like, I'm, you know, I'm willing to consider that, you know? So I think um, exploring more of, you know, how you feel and what you would be looking for in order to sleep in the same bedroom initially. And then at some point, you know, uh, it, it, when you're ready, you know, um, initiating sexual contact, contact. Um, um, but I love that you're asking this question and I hear lots of, like Dr. Rob said, I hear lots of good stuff too. So. I wanted to just say one more thing. I was making a list of, um, it's a, today is a day off. So, um, just happens to be. And so, uh, I, my husband and I were free. We had the whole day together and I was just sitting down. It occurred to me to make a list of the things we did. So we rode bikes, we played with dogs, we shopped, we went to the beach, we talked, we walked, we ate, we laughed, we gardened, and we shopped. All of that is so much more meaningful to me than whether we sleep in the same bed or not. Um, that I know, again, those are the intimacies that mean, that would build me up to a place where I would want to sleep with someone again. And so how are you having fun together? How are you enjoying each other? How are you building a place where you can't wait to be closer rather than sitting back and saying, should I or shouldn't I? I think this is an experiential thing. And you have to be in it to really know what's right for you. So I had a good day too. I can tell. I heard, I heard shopping twice. So <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. I swear well, I heard that. <laughs> I heard it. Okay. Next question. Addict partner is saying if he doesn't have sex, he will face temptation again. What do I say to that? I have some choice words that I probably shouldn't use here. Please what do. You start, no, please Tammy? do. Because I'm thinking, because I'd be like, uh, okay, wait, ask me the question. It would be not my problem. So, okay. So, so if the addict partner is saying, if he doesn't have, if he doesn't have sex, he's going to face temptation again. What do you say to that? Fuck you. 
yeah well that was that was harsher than i was going to say i would be no, not my you, problem i told you so, it was going to yeah, be harsh so, yeah yeah poor yeah, baby yeah. you had sex with yeah. everyone in the world and now if i don't do something for you excuse my sarcasm then you, yeah. where does put where does that put the responsibility on my problem it puts it on you yeah i mean what could be more troubling and it also reinforces that thing that partners often think which is well, maybe if I just have some more sex with you, or if I dress sexier, or I lose 20 pounds, or whatever it is, then blah, 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 blah. It doesn't, this, none of this is about you. This is about the person who's acting out and their problem. So someone put a smiley face to my screw yeah. you. You know, I don't mean harm to anyone. It's just, this is a very troubled person. This is someone who's, this is gaslighting you. This is making you feel responsible for his problems or her. Um, and you know, and by the way, we're going to face temptation again. Do you think we don't have sex in the evening as an addict and the next morning we're out there having sex with whatever? Of course we are. I know a bunch of people who talk about I had sex with my spouse and then they went to sleep and I got up and got into the porn. You know, so it doesn't matter. We have sex 100 times a day with you. Uh, you could dance on the head of a pin naked and it wouldn't really matter to us because we have a desire that has nothing to do with you. And it doesn't really have a lot to do with sex. So this is inc- it makes me angry. Can you tell? Because it's so manipulative. I hate that you have to be asking this question. Um, But I'm glad that you came here to ask this question rather than just sort of folding in on yourself. So thoughts, Tammy? Yeah, I'd be like, that is not my problem. You have, uh, call your sponsor. Do you, I mean, I don't hear Mm. any recovery work. This just looks like instead of me acting out with someone else, I want to act out with you, you know? And, And so you are just simply a replacement for the porn, the sex worker or whatever else he was doing. So, or she, but, um, uh, but to me, you know, it, it, it's not going to fall off. If he's a guy, it's not going to, Oh, if he doesn't have sex, it's not going to fall off. He will be fine. There are other things he can choose. What, what recovery work could he be doing right in that moment? He could go be of service in the 12 step meeting. You know, that would be different. That would change his focus. And there are so many tools to use. Every addict is triggered on some level, you know, and, and every addict faces temptation. I mean, it it doesn't, one of my addictions is alcohol. You don't think that there's alcohol at, I don't even know how many places within a mile of me, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, do I choose to look at it as temptation? No, it's, it's my problem, not anybody else's. So, you know, I'm with Dr. Rob. I would, I would, you just yes, won't I say, just, I mean, and you're, I won't say it. To, I won't say it. to say that, but you're not surprised that I said that. No, uh, by the way, we, he, we face temptation all of our lives. Every one of us, I say, I'm only going to yes. have one cookie. I'm, I have two, you know, everyone yeah. struggles with that, but addicts have no impulse control. So they're yeah. tempted and then they just go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so manipulative. It's like, well, if you just give me <clears throat> sex, then I won't be tempted. And therefore, if I, if I go act out, it's your fault because you didn't give me sex. You know, like I take zero responsibility for any of my actions. I get to blame you for everything. How convenient. And please excuse my sales pitch, but you're someone who should be in the partner in the betrayed partners group. It's worth the money for you to sit there and learn how to take better care of yourself. By the way, this is a boundary. This is what we call a boundary. When you say people like, what are boundaries? Well, when someone says, I'll be better if you do this, you say, I'm sorry, that's not my problem. And I don't want to put it on me. And it never had anything to do with me. And in fact, you've hurt me. That's a boundary. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be responsible for it. And I don't believe you. Um, 
what a wonderful gift to yourself. And by the way, you can say, if, if this spouse says, well, I don't like what you said, you can say, well, Dr. Rob and Tammy said so. And he <laughs> can say whatever, he right. can say F us too, but he's a candidate for our treatment program. Honestly, that, that, that's the kind of stuff, like when I hear that, I go, he, 14, 21 or 28 days, we've got a residential treatment program. And, and that's the kind of stuff, not just stopping the behavior, but that's the kind of stuff that we work on. So, okay. And the guys are question. watching right now, I think actually. Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, love and sex addiction. Any thoughts on the dynamics of dirty laundry that has been aired? So sad. I have compassion for both of them and hope they find peace and serenity. Do you want to, I mean, like, I, I will not answer any of that. So, but. Well, all I can say is that um, if I had really ugly things that were going on in my life, I wouldn't want to publicize them in front of the world. And to me, the choice to publicize things in front of the world is more about publicity and being famous and being, you know, entitled on both sides than it has anything to do with healing or, or even financial redress, you know. Uh, when you say, I don't want to be in the news, and then, you know, all you do is put yourself in the news, or I don't want my private life. I don't want to be, anyway, don't get me started. It has nothing to do with, so I would disagree with you. I don't feel sad or compassionate for these people. They have gazillions of dollars. They're famous. They live in amazing houses. They have chefs and cooks and people work them out. I, I don't really have a lot, and I live in Hollywood. I know what it looks like to have that kind of life. And I don't feel badly for these people at all. Um, now, if you are living a life with, you know, several houses all over the world and your own jet, and then then I really invite you to keep compassionate for them. Um, now, excuse my sarcasm, but I go there. So Tammy, that was my response. I think you're just going to let the whole thing go, right? Yeah, I, it, pu public stuff, um, I care more about, let's talk about you guys. Newly in the process, I am the betrayed partner discovery four months ago, educating myself. Please come to that betrayed partner work group. I, I put it in. So it's on, on the Seeking Integrity site. It starts June 8th, educating myself in several support groups weekly. I've read that couples should take a break from sex. What are your thoughts on how long that break should be? Well, um, Tammy, I, why don't you start? I know what you're going to, I think I know what I'm going to say, but I'll follow you up. How about that? So I'm looking at so I'm like, oh, Dr. Rob. Dr. Rob says, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? So, so, you know, and like I said, just, a, you know, in, uh, with a little sarcasm uh, a moment ago, but, but, you know, it's like, if you are just a, sub, a substitute for the acting out, uh, like, what is your point in having sex? I think it's one of those when, you know, it, when you know that, it, you know, that you feel ready to, you don't feel manipulated to, you know, then, then perhaps. So there's no magic time. You know, lots of people say 90 days, you know, of going without. And I think that's a good practice just to, you know, like everybody take a, you know, let everything simmer down. It's one of those where, you know, like get to know each other, figure out what the plan is, get on a different path. So, um, but you're four months in, I don't know if you have stopped, if it, you know, it, it's one of those, every couple's a little different, um, but you, I, here's what I don't hear. I hear you're working on educating yourself. I don't hear what he's doing. I don't hear what he's doing to change, to not just stop the behavior, but to be a different person. We have a sex addiction. Yeah, true. I, I, for 
for the sake of conversation, I use pronouns. He added yeah, she, reading this partner, but, but right. But it's one of those where please understand, you know, sex addiction, there's everybody struggles and there's betrayed partners, you know, so, so it's just for conversation. So, but what, what I would love to hear more about is what is the addict doing to really change and to become a safe person and to be trustworthy so that you would actually want to consider, you know, being intimate in a sexual way with that person. So that's, that was kind of my, so there's no magic, you know, well, after 90 days, the brain rewires and you'll magically be all fine. No. So. Well, and it's only been four months, you know, and I don't, you Mm -hmm. know, I think, so the reason I said, um, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? There was a reason for that. And the reason was, is that sometimes partners for many reasons will want to be sexual that are not the right reasons. Like if I have a lot of sex with you, then maybe you won't go out and have sex with someone else. Um, Or maybe I'll tire you out, you know, or, you know, maybe I'll get you to love me again. If I have a lot of sex, there are a lot of reasons why part, or um, now that I know everything, and now I feel much closer to you, which can sometimes be true, no matter, no matter how ugly the truth was. At least you feel like, okay, I know what's going on in my life. And I have seen partners go forward then and feel sexual toward the addict. But again, the reason to be sexual is not because you feel safer with them, because you um, think it will be a strategy. The reason to be sexual is because you trust someone and feel close to them. And so the trust thing, and by the way, you know, Tammy was talking about you know, uh, trust may not be reparable. And I'm, I agree with her. I mean, there are many sayings like, uh, trust is like a plate, you know, you can break it, but you'll always see the crack even after you glue it back together. And I don't think anybody has the same sort of naive sense of no matter what that person will always have my back once you know that they haven't. Um, but can you rebuild a whole different thing? That's amazing. Sure. You could do all kinds of things around the crack. Uh, and by the way, hate to carry this metaphor forward, but that is the least likely place for it to crack again. That's the strongest spot now. So um, any thoughts, Tammy? Yeah, no, I, I use that analogy a lot. And and I do think, you know, the things, uh, it, we are living proof that our addiction, which was, you know, a huge, you know, crack in our, in our, so in our tea in our teacups and so yeah but but you know yeah but look at like that is that is where we have built our lives you know like that's the foundation of everything and you know we can have a little you know fractures here and there you know on other areas but you know like my recovery is is so critically important you know that that is a very solid place and it's an opportunity that i have the ability to share with others in a real and meaningful way so um so that yeah okay next Wait, question um, so we got one more Go right yeah um yeah we got one more okay let's do one yes. more and then i have to ask one thing of all of them so okay i need a minute can you anyway, don't go away yes. you guys. okay don't go away so can you speak to why a therapeutic disclosure would be important? Um, you want to start that one? So a formal therapeutic disclosure is a process. It is not a do-it-yourself you know, thing. Dr. And I've shared this before, but Dr. Rob has a peer case consultation group every week with therapists who have been trained to do this work. The number one topic, the thing that is most talked about is formal therapeutic disclosure. So but, but, you know, people go, oh, you know, my partner already knows everything or the partner says, oh, I already know everything. But there is something about that process. First of all, you probably don't. Um, and even with the addict, they 
probably don't remember everything. And it isn't about all the gory details. It's about setting the structure and setting a foundation of healing. So I think having that be part of the process of this is what we're doing to build a foundation. You know, you, you build a house, you want a solid foundation because otherwise everything crumbles. So you want that foundation so that you can work on building things forward, but it is a process. You want the right people to help you. You want professionals and you want trained professionals. You know, you don't want a generalist therapist. You don't want your friend, you know, you, you really do want the support to do it right. So well, um, I would just say also that um, um, writing a note to all of you people, I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse, mm-hmm. which is specific to how to express empathy and compassion for someone you've harmed. And that's why I wrote the book, because most men in my experience don't know how to do that. Um, but also, I think um, I'm going to say one more thing about and that. And we have oh, a work group that, on it. I just put the tag in for that, too. Oh, we have a doghouse workshop. That's right. We're workshopping. Mm-hmm. Um I was going to say something else though. Hold on. You took my old brain and distracted I'm it. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, so, uh, oh, we really believe that there can, that couples can't recover or move toward healing until there's an equal playing field, you know? And as long as you have secrets, as long as there's things that you know that the other person doesn't know, you're not equals. You have power over them. In addition to that, if I acted out in a certain way and I got away with it, like I did five things, I only told my partner four, and there's one I kept to myself. Pardon me. Well, guess how likely it is I'm going to go act out on that situation again, because it's always. And by the way, when we see men in treatment, when I see people in general, there's always just one thing they don't want to say. They don't want to tell me. They don't want to tell the partner. And nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with how difficult it's going to be. That's the thing that they're most afraid of. And their spouse or their therapist or sponsor says, well, that's no big deal. It's this that bothered me. So it's in our heads what we think is the thing we want to withhold. And we don't rebuild trust by withholding anything. Um, yeah. So do I have a second here, Tammy? Okay. Yes, you so do. Yes. You have more right, than a hold second. Hold on a second. This is important. So why am I wearing sunglasses, Tammy? I live in Hollywood. Why am I wearing, when walk down really the street, cool. more than that, people wear sunglasses Anonymity. because they don't want to be recognized. Right. So why would I not want to be recognized right now or in about two weeks? Why do you think I'm going to be walking around with my glasses, hoping no one knows who I am? And you won't be, but you will be on A&E. <laughs> you, you, you will be talking to the people host because you care about people. No, you care about people and you want to help people. So you won't be going, leave me alone. You're inviting people. I don't want to because A and E is going. So talk about. Please share about. You know, I think it's a great new platform that, you know, will bring more information and education. And I'm proud that you're part of it. Um, So I, I'm hoping people learn more about what it is. So. And that was my being silly because I don't really care whether anyone knows who I am or not, um, except the people who need help. But um, A&E, the arts entertainment uh, channel, approached me um, a year ago, it must be, and they're starting a new show called Digital Addiction. And it's by the same folks who did Intervention. And it starts on June 13th. And it is a series of shows on people who are stuck with gaming. People are stuck on spending. People are stuck on porn. You know, the problems that happen in the digital world that are addictive versus the uh, drug and alcohol world. And so, or gambling or things that you do in real time. And so I think I'm really proud to say I'm hosting the first episode. So, and it was done so long ago, I barely remember it. That's how, you know, that's how it goes in, in Hollywood. 
<laughs> I yeah, remember because I remember interacting, and then you're also doing one August first, so June thirteenth and August first oh, are the, the two. I yes, I do know, and I wow. remember both people. So I'm going to be watching so that I I see how it it plays out. But but anyway, so um, so stay tuned. I don't know the rest of the the lineup for the other, but Dr. Rob did those two episodes, um, and I do and hope hopefully you, more. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's really important, you know, to have understanding and education in this area from someone who really understands this. It, you know, it isn't just the, you know, everybody writes a blog stuff, so. Well, Tammy, I think it's about reducing stigma and shame. If we can get up there, I don't care if it's sensationalized or not, which I don't think it is on AD to a certain degree, but if we can get up there and have a sane, meaningful conversation with someone about their porn problem rather than being sleazy and don't care about their family, you know, then we've moved things forward. We've moved the thing forward just a little bit. And yeah. that's what I hope to bring is some air of dignity to a problem that nobody wants to talk about. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.